Well, good morning. Hopefully you can all hear me well. My name is Ryan. I am the senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement, and we would like to welcome you here for worship. Uh, you may have noticed we gave a few extra moments for people to, uh, to sign in. We know that uh, it's not the most convenient thing sometimes to navigate through web browsers and find a live stream, so we wanted to give some extra time for folks to, to get tuned in before we got uh, started with our worship this morning. Most of you are probably practicing your social distancing. Uh, that's the new term of, uh, of this time. Um, social distancing, or some people are, are preferring the term uh, physical distancing because they still want to be social. And I would encourage that. You know, we're, we're practicing uh, social or physical distancing, but we are also encouraging relational nearness in this time. Uh, and there's a couple of ways that we as a church are doing this. I sent an email out last night with some of the links to worship and, and describe some of the things that we're doing as a church to cultivate nearness and build relationships in this uh, very unsteady and uh, unnerving time. One of the ways is that we have uh, decided to have all of our elders have a group of members and congregation uh, to be in contact with during this time. You know, we don't get the opportunity to see each other on a Sunday morning, and so we don't get the opportunity to say, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? And so we felt it was important at this time to have our elders be uh, part of that work. And so you may have already been contacted by an elder. Uh, an elder may be trying to connect with you this week. Uh, we encourage you to uh, be in touch with them and, and open up with them. How are you doing? How can we be praying for you? We really want to know. I've gotten a few reports from our elders, and it has been an amazing way to be informed about how to be praying for our congregation. So we really want to encourage that. The other thing that we're doing is uh, that we're trying to find out how we can offer help to those of our congregation who may be in need during this time of crisis. Obviously, there are certain uh, segments of our population in, in our congregation that are more susceptible to the coronavirus, and uh, they may have uh, difficulty having regular meals. They may have difficulty getting out to the store for those things that they need. They may need uh, something done around the house, a repair that needs to take place, and repairmen may not be available as uh, they once were. So we wanted to make sure that there are connections that are being made, and you may have seen in the email that I'm encouraging you uh, to let your elders know of your needs, uh, but also if situations or needs arise that you become aware of, to contact Amy Hackman, and her contact information was in the email that we sent out. Um, if you need to get a hold of her information, you can always email info at atonementlife.org and we can try to connect you with the information that you need. The other thing that we get to do is that we get to gather virtually. One of the things that uh, we were so shocked by was just how many people who would not normally be here on a Sunday morning were able to gather with us for worship. So we had folks overseas. Uh, one of our missionaries in Cairo was able to join us for worship and I believe that she is uh, with us this morning. We also um, had people uh, joining us for, for worship around uh, the United States in different places. Friends and family of mine even joined us for worship. And this morning we have a privilege of having some folks from Christ Presbyterian Church, one of our ARP churches in the Northeast Presbytery, joining us from Grove City, PA. So we welcome all of our friends and family of Church of the Atonement to worship this morning. And I would like to begin our service of worship with a time of prayer. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the ability to gather as your people. We thank you for the ways that ministry uh, cannot be tied down to a place, that you have given us technology and ability to uh, increase 
our relationships, to encourage one another and strengthen one another. And we pray that we would be faithful in doing that. We ask, Father, that uh, as we come to this time of worship, you would quiet our hearts, that you would call us to worship, and that we would be freed to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. This time, I'm going to invite Pastor Terrence up to lead us in our call to worship. We come this morning to worship our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hear now the call to worship, brothers and sisters, from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. God utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how God has brought desolations on the earth. God makes wars cease to the end of the earth. God breaks the bow and shatters the spear. God burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's sing together there in your home. Come thou fount of every blessing. of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me son melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise his name i'm fixed upon it name of god's redeeming love hitherto thy love has blessed me thou hast brought me to this place and i know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy good grace jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of god he to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, or take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to
We come now to our time of confession. Humble your hearts before the mighty hand of God. We come to confess. Because God knows us. He knows everything about us. There's nothing that we can hide. God knows and sees all. But God invites us to confess. Our Father loves us. Our Father has made provision for our sin. Would you pray with me? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Father God, our problem is that we do not love the light. We are born into this world inclined to the opposite of what is good and right and just. Our loves are tainted, tainted with selfishness, lust, greed, pride, and darkness. Our hearts are desperately wicked, as the Scripture says. Who can know it? Father God, the Scriptures, your word, they instruct us. God is light, and in God is no darkness at all. Idolatry is the air we love to breathe. Our Father and our God, we have sinned against you, against your name, against your holiness. We, like every single human being born into this world, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, have followed the path of foolishness. And we have willingly walked right into the pits of vanity and vapor. We have often succumbed to selfish living rather than sacred worship and biblical love of neighbor. Our plight, O oh God, separated from you, is wretched and empty and uneasiness. Today we confess. Today we stand in need of Jesus Christ. We stand in need, O oh God, of your merciful forgiveness. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us for breaking your perfect law in our minds, our hearts, and our actions. This morning, through Jesus Christ, the only Savior, we plead your forgiveness. We stand on Christ today. Jesus is our peace. Jesus rescues us from us. The life, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of King Jesus blesses lawbreakers, idolaters, and disobedient people like us with new life. In Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. In Jesus Christ, we have good news. In Jesus Christ, we have the best news, and today we say thank you. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Turn our eyes, turn the eyes of our heart to you, O God. Bring your kingdom, O Lord, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Amen. God gives us assurance that our sins are forgiven. Hear now from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, 
and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And now we prepare to hear meditatively, and can it be, by Luke and Carrie. And I would remind you, though we aren't physically here to give our offering, I did bring my offering today, please remember to continue to give to the Lord's work for the Lord's service, for the Lord's glory. Let's listen meditatively. it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? He died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? How can it be? spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night thine eye diffused a quickening ray I awoke the dungeon flamed with light my chains fell off my heart was free I rose went forth and followed thee amazing how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? How can it be? Amazing Now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine Alive in him, my living head And clothed in righteousness divine Bold I approach the eternal throne And claim the crown through Christ my own Amazing. 
Well, thank you, uh, Luke and Carrie. And I done walked up here without my Bible. <laughs> it's not good when we uh, get to the time when we are opening up God's Word and the preacher doesn't have his Bible. Uh, as we have done uh, the past couple weeks, before we get to the grown-up sermon, we do have a children's sermon. And uh, the children's sermon for today uh, is going to talk about times when we are afraid of things. So my question to you kids, if you're gathered around the TV or a computer or a phone, wherever you're watching this, is there any time where you have been afraid of something? Is there something that you have been afraid of? Maybe some of you are afraid of the dark, right? You need a nightlight on, you need a flashlight. Sometimes my son Elliot will ask us to keep a light on in the hallway and the door cracks because he just wants to be able to see what's in the room. Um, I don't know that he's really afraid of the dark, but he likes to have the light on. But some of us can be very afraid of the dark. Now, some of us may have uh, a fear of dogs. We might be afraid of a dog because it might be big and it might have a really loud bark. And that really, you know, we think that it looks nice from afar. But when it opens its mouth and starts, you know, it really gets us fearful. We start being afraid. Well, I, when I was a kid, I was afraid of thunderstorms. I can remember times when I would be in my room and I would be trying to go to sleep and a thunderstorm would start and I would think, oh no, here it comes. Because sometimes when I was in my room and there were thunderstorms around, there would be lightning that strikes. Close to the house, we had a, a little thing uh, for, for the power that was out in our yard, a little transformer or whatever you call it. And sometimes lightning would strike that, and, and when lightning strikes that close, the thunder is so loud, and so it would be really scary to me. And so there were times whenever big thunderstorms would roll in, and I would be really afraid. But I remember that there was a song that I learned watching a video by Steve Green, and it was a song that would teach kids scripture. And the song uh, was based on Psalm 56, 3 and 4, which says this, When I am afraid... I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. And so I used to sing that song to myself so that I would remember that whatever I was afraid of, it was a time for me not to be just afraid of that thing, but to try to put my trust in God. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think that I'd grown up, and when I would be grown up, then I wouldn't be afraid of anything. But I've got news for you. I still sometimes get afraid of things. I still sometimes have fear that gets a hold of me. Sometimes I'll look out and there will be some things that seem really scary and I begin to worry and I begin to be afraid. And I still need to remember that same song that I used to sing back when I was four and five. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. And so it's important for us to learn that. I hope that that could be a verse that maybe you can learn this week and you can remember when there's things that are scary or that might make you afraid that you can trust in the Lord. That is a good thing for us to trust in the Lord. And the truth is that we'll never grow out of learning that important lesson. That verse speaks to us whether we're four or whether we're 104. It's always a good verse for us to remember. So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for all the uh, children who are part of our church family. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to share your truth with them. 
And we pray that no matter what age they are, Father, that your word would guard their hearts and minds. We pray that your word would be planted deep in them, that they may understand who you are and know that they can always trust in you, no matter how scary life is around us. That's a lesson we want them to know now so that they can know it for the rest of their lives. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we have come to the portion of our service which I'm referring to as the grown-up sermon, even though we all know that the kids' sermons are also for the grown-ups, too, in secret. But we are uh, picking up this week with the story of Israel's struggle to find their true king. We must remember that it has always been God's plan for him to be Israel's king. And while there would be leaders who judge and lead Israel uh, through difficult times, ultimately these leaders all served under God's reign. They all served under his kingship. God was the one who formed the nation of Israel. God was the one who provided for them. He was the one who protected them. He was the one who gave them their land and established their culture and, and gave them the laws of, uh, of justice that they were to enforce and to live by. And so as we have seen every week in this series so far called In Search of a King, especially last week, we have seen that Israel has this history that is filled with examples of how they struggle to submit to God's kingship. And this week what we will see is we'll see that they even wrestle with their new earthly king. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, I invite you to turn them to 1 Samuel. We're going to begin reading uh, the first verse of chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13. Listen now to God's word. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash and the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Now Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And all the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. Thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash, east of beth Aven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes, in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some of the Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offerings here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines 
will come against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. The rest of the story goes like this. The chapter closes with the deplorable view of Israel's circumstances. The Philistines have sent raiders into the land. Israel has no way to defend itself. They're completely unprepared for battle. We see that they have no blacksmiths. This means they have no weapons of more, just uh, war, just farming implements, which ironically they must pay Philistines to keep them in good order for them. Obviously, there's a complicated relationship between these armies. And so in this passage, we see that Israel brings a knife to a gunfight, not because they had plows and farm equipment as weapons, but because the king that seemed so right was hardly the king that they needed. Last week I mentioned that sometimes when we look at passages in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, it can be difficult to see how a passage speaks to us. Um, But it's helpful for us to remember that every passage tells us something that we can learn about ourselves. Every passage teaches us something about God. And something I failed to mention last week, but to remind ourselves of this week, is that every passage teaches us something about Christ. And our passage this morning is no exception. As I shared uh, last week, that in the Old Testament, when we see the people of Israel mentioned, it's a good indication that God's Word is revealing something in Israel that is likely something uh, important for us to consider about ourselves. And we might lose track of Israel in this passage because they seem to take a back seat. With the action of the text, our attention is immediately pulled from them onto Saul and Samuel. Um, But although they're not the main characters, they're still very present for us. And so, what does this passage tell us about us? What does it reveal about ourselves? I would put forward that this passage reveals to us that we are people weakened by fear. In this passage, we see ourselves in the great struggle uh, that Israel finds with their newly appointed king. Israel has often sought the king that they wanted, but not the king that they needed. As I've said, Uh, in the past weeks. And here we see that become a realization for Israel. Things seem to begin well for Saul. He's making a name for himself. And the passage begins by introducing Saul as Israel's king. And Saul is clearly on the warpath. Just like any king of any other nation, Saul wants to make his name for himself. He's trying to live up to the hype and the expectations of the people. After all, they wanted a king just like all the other nations. A king that would be feared and respected, that would go and fight battles for them. And so you may have noticed that even though it is Jonathan, his son, who defeats the Philistines with a smaller force of men, Saul had 2,000, Jonathan had 1,000, Saul claims the victory for himself. In verses 3 and 4, we see this, Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout all the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. 
In our passage, we begin to see how Saul wants people to have confidence in him. After all, he is their king. They should have faith in his abilities and his power. And so he's making a name for himself. He wants the people to know that he can be their savior and protector. And so all of Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. But that's not all that they heard. They also hear how Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. The Bible translation I read earlier said that they had become a stench to the Philistines. That is not an encouraging report. In the meantime, Saul is preparing for battle. He's following the instructions that he received from Samuel. He summons the people at Gilgal. We uh, have to remember that in 1 Samuel 10, 8, Samuel gave Saul these instructions as king. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I'll surely come to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So Samuel had given Saul these instructions to go down to Gilgal when things were getting hot and heavy. Go there and wait for me, even up to seven days, so that I can offer the offerings and tell you what you are to do. Well, while Saul is waiting at Gilgal, we see that he has stirred the hornet's nest. And just because God is promising favor and blessing to his people doesn't mean that the enemies of God's people will be docile or go quietly. The Philistines amass their army, and like a swarm of hornets, their numbers are staggering, almost too many to count, like sands on the seashore. The circumstances that Israel is facing seem insurmountable. And of course, Israel had their king, right? They had this guy who really looked the part. He was a giant, head and shoulders above the rest. But compared to the size of the enemy they now face, they begin to lose confidence. And Israel begins to tremble. Verse 6 tells us that they saw they were in trouble because they were hard-pressed, and they hid themselves in caves and holes, rocks, in tombs, and in cisterns. Some of them even fled the land of Israel. And while people are fleeing, Saul is still at Gilgal. He's still trying to hold on strong. But the people who followed him there, they're also trembling, and soon they begin to leave. And with confidence fading, the true weakness of Israel's king is revealed. Saul had gathered all the people. He had waited patiently for Samuel to show. And now on the seventh day, people are beginning to leave. And Saul loses his nerve, and he decides to take matters into his own hands. After all, he has a reputation to uphold and a battle to win. He'll need every man he can get to beat back such a vast enemy. We need to remember Samuel's warning that we read last week in chapter 12. Samuel had instructed Israel and their king that they were to obey every word from the Lord. This was crucial. Their success and blessing were tied to their obedience to God's instructions. And what this passage reveals to us is that both parties were failing to do this. Instead of gathering at Gilgal, Israel began to run for their lives. They were hiding in caves and some were fleeing the country. Those that had started out faithful began to fall away. And Saul's actions are par for the course as well. Seeing his army fade, seeing the numbers reduce, he wants to ensure victory, and so he tries to take a shortcut. Yes, Saul makes the sacrifice instead of Samuel. That seems like the obvious offense. So we might think that God is upset about Saul acting outside of his role. His role. But Saul's actions reveal something to us about Israel's king. To Saul, the favor of the Lord was indispensable. 
He knew he wanted to have that so that he would be victorious in battle. But God's instruction as to how he was to win the battle was disposable. It was optional. Saul sought God's favor by giving these sacrifices, but he didn't care to receive God's instruction as to how he was to move forward into battle. Saul's fears of losing men and losing the battle were so great that he became desperate to have God's favor. And this shows us that Saul did not understand the basis on which he had God's favor or would receive God's favor. It wasn't in the outward rituals of sacrifice alone, but in the inward trust of the heart that the rituals required. A fear which the, of the Lord more than anything else. A heart that had a fear of the Lord more than anything else is what Saul needed to have. A heart that, that must match the obedience that was required. Sacrifices at Gilgal were not made to win God's favor. They were offered in demonstration of the total favor and trust that Israel had from God. No sooner does Saul finish offering his sacrifices than we see Samuel arrives on the scene. On time. Of course, Saul gives his justification. And I tried to give it some emphasis as I read the text. It can be hard to see in our English translations. But as Saul makes his case, he even hurls blame at Samuel for being late. But Samuel speaks for God and reveals the hard news to Saul. He says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The sentence has been given. Saul was a person who looked strong. He looked like a great candidate to be Israel's king. He was a fierce warrior, an intimidating figure, but spiritually, Saul is weak. Concerned about the favor he has with his people, it influences how he obeys God. And so Saul is nothing like Moses or Joshua or Samuel. Saul presents himself as a weak king whose dynasty will now come to an end with his own life. Instead of a name that lasts forever, his glory will end at the end of his life. It's very ironic. Saul starts by trying to create a name for himself, and yet in doing so, he loses any glory that would have been his from God. And so we have a picture painted for us in the relationships of Israel and Saul, and the picture is of a people weakened by fear. Saul fears losing the momentum he has as Israel's king, and that fear blinds him from seeing where his momentum actually comes from, where his power actually rests. It's not in his own strength or abilities. It rests totally upon God. And Israel fears the enemy at the gates. No matter how great Saul appears, he seems no match for this new enemy. And they have so much trust and dependence upon this new earthly king that they seem to forget about the heavenly king who has promised to be with them if they would only obey. And so Saul and Israel were filled with so much fear and so little trust. Their actions might be so subtle that we might miss the great offense that is taking place. So that's what this passage tells us about us. As we look at this relationship between Saul and Israel, we see that just like Saul and Israel, we are people often weakened by our fear. Well, what does this passage tell us about God? If it shows us that we are a people 
who are weakened by our fears, it tells us that God understands we need a king who brings strength to our weaknesses. The great irony about the subject of fear in the Bible is that the fear of God actually strengthens people. But anytime someone fears something more than God, they fear something else more than they fear the Lord, it weakens them. Anytime their fear of God lessens and their fear of an enemy increases and it changes the way that they obey or the way that they behave or operate, it becomes a threat to them and weakens them. Think of Abraham. When Abraham feared the Lord, he had great success. He acquired herds and wealth, and he was blessed. But when he feared people, when he feared the circumstances or outcomes that he was being called to act into, that was when he would begin to act foolishly, and he would jeopardize the promise and bring himself and his family into trouble. This passage helps us see that the king Israel needs is the one who is strong in all the places where Saul and Israel are weak. And Samuel reveals this for us as he speaks for the Lord in verse 14. He says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and has commanded him to be prince over his people. And here we see the thing that matters to God. A leader who acts according to God's instruction. A leader who would direct Israel's hopes and fears not according to the size of armies that they have, not in the accordance of offerings that they need to offer, not in the strength of their king, or even uh, in the fears of the uh, enemies that are coming up against them. But he directs Israel's fears to rest in the faithfulness of their God. A king who feared God more than any enemy. God knows that's what his people need. And Saul fails to do this. And because of this, God has made a determination that Saul and his lineage are not fit for this task of being Israel's earthly king. The king that God's people need is the one with a heart in line with God's heart. And only a king like that can lead the people to fear God and not be undone by the enemies that come against them. As we reflect on the relationship between Israel and Saul, isn't it amazing to see how fear motivates them? Israel's fears are so clearly seen. Israel sees this impending doom, the enemy at the gates, and like any one of us would do in that situation, they begin to panic. They begin to hide and to flee. We can forget, as we saw last week, fear is what motivated Israel to search for a king and request a king, in fact, demand a king in the first place. And with the dismal numbers of Israelites standing at Saul's side, we can see that Israel knows that they feel at this moment they've got the wrong king. Saul's fears are clear to see as well. His desperation leads him to do anything to maintain his power. But the mistake Saul makes is by forgetting where his power comes from. All his authority and success was bound to his obedience to God. God was the one who established him as the king. But Saul feared losing the confidence of the people, and it was enough to drive him to compromise himself. Isn't it interesting how they are weakened by fear? It's almost like their fears highlight in the moment of time where, where this is capturing their story the things that seem to matter most to them, the things that are right here in front of their faces. I wonder if our fears have become 
as clear to us as the fears of Saul and Israel in this text. I wonder if our fears have become as clear to us in the last few weeks. I don't think I need to spend much time teasing this out. But I don't think there's a, a person watching this broadcast right now who hasn't been shaken by the enemy at the gate. Even though we may not have contracted the virus, we are still very much shaken by the, uh, the threats. The fears and worries have begun to mount. All of a sudden, the things that we felt were so secure seem suddenly so weak. For many of us, our health is a concern. Some of us have watched our livelihoods evaporate in less than a week. Some of us are wondering if we will have jobs or businesses when this thing clears. Some of us have watched our 401ks turn into 201ks. This is a time when we could be like Israel. We could be sidelined by fear. But God calls us to be a people for his glory. This is a time when we could be like Saul, where we feel tempted to cheat the system, to bend things in our favor, to hope that God will understand and give us victory anyway. And so this passage, I think, is a very timely warning for us. Our fears can weaken us. Our fears can be the thing that can undo us. Our fears can lead us into areas of compromise. And often they will. Some of us have already given in to our fears. And maybe that was something we had to handle in the prayers of confession earlier this morning. And so this passage is a warning to us about the power that our fears can have over us and how they can bring weakness into our lives. But it's also a message of hope for us. Because the other thing that we see is how this passage speaks to us about Christ. God, in this passage, has chosen a better king for his people. A new king was promised, and that was good news for Israel. Israel has hope that there is a king that will come. A king that is promised will have a dynasty that continues forever and ever, unlike Saul. The king that this passage is talking about is not King David, but one that comes from David's line, a son of David. This passage points Israel's hopes in a king that would serve them out of his love for the Lord, a king with a heart after God's heart, a king who understands that his glory is not derived from victory in battle, but in faithfulness to his God, a king who does nothing out of his own will, but only so, uh, serves out of the will of his Father in heaven. A king who does not try to force God's favor through cheap sacrifices at Gilgal, but one who received God's favor by offering his whole self as a sacrifice at Golgotha. For God's people of all times, this passage directs us to the king that we need. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul from uh, 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing about this great weakness that he has and that he's wrestling with. And he prays that this weakness would go away. And Paul was given this word from the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, 
persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right now, if you're anything like me, you might be wrestling with some of your fears. And those fears, it's important for us to see, they can weaken us. They are weaknesses. Those instances in life where we realize we do not have control over everything. And as the Holy Spirit is revealing these weaknesses to us and showing us where our fears are getting out of control, it's important that we cling to this promise of hope. God has chosen a king to secure the promise for us. That we have a king who secures our favor with God, not because we have power over our weaknesses. We will succumb to them. We'll give in to them. Just like Saul, just like Israel, we will have our weak moments when our fears crowd out our view of how big and powerful and faithful and loving our God is. But no matter how weak our faith is, no matter how fear distracts us, we have a king that feared nothing else but failing to live obediently to the will of his Father. He lived a perfect life for us so that the promises would be secure. That's why Paul could write things like he wrote in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The good news of the gospel that this passage points us to is that God has chosen the king for us. That even in the times when we are weak, the promise is secure because he was faithful even when we are not. This is what our king does for us and it's a promise that is important for us to rest in in times like these. With this promise, let us turn and pray in the name of our King who intercedes for us and ask for God's help in this time. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the ways that your word speaks to us, words from of old, and how it highlights indeed, Lord, a lesson for us about ourselves. We can be weakened by fear. Father, you know the ways in which we are struggling in this time. You know the ways in which our minds can become just saturated with fear, where worry and anxiety can creep in. We, we do not know how long we will be in this uh, condition. 
We do not know how low the stocks will dip. We do not know how severe the symptoms will become. We do not know how far the plague will spread. We do not know any of these things. And because we do not know, we confess that we are people who are weakened by fear. Father, as we confess that truth, we pray that you would strengthen us with the promise that Christ is the king we need who acts on our behalf, who secures the truth that we cannot be separated or lose your favor because of what Christ has done. Help us cling to that promise. Help us repent of our weaknesses and turn to the king that you have chosen to represent us. Father, in light of all these things, we pray in the name of our King, Jesus Christ, and ask for your mercy. We ask for your protection. We lift up those who are serving overseas in missions. We pray for those who are serving in countries whose conditions are far worse than ours. And Lord, you know the state of these nations more than any newsreel can present. And we pray, Father, that this would be an a moment for your gospel to break through where people would see that the securities they've long depended on are nothing to rest upon and that they need a greater source of security and strength that can only be found in you. We pray that you would raise up voices, um, Lord, indigenous voices among the peoples to proclaim this truth of the gospel across the world. Father, we pray for our own fellowship here in the United States, and you know the battles that are happening. We pray that we would be able to build relationships and strengthen networks of ministry in this time. I thank you, Father, so much for those in our church who are serving to help with this broadcast of our services, for the ways that you have gifted us with technology and infrastructure to facilitate um, gathering together around your word. We pray that your word would have full effect. Lord, we lift up those of our congregation and pray that you would strengthen them and demonstrate your power and strength in their weakness. We pray, Father, that in the places where we feel weak, it would drive us to depend upon you and that our relationship and love and fear for you would grow in an exponential way. Lord, use the hardships that we are facing in this time as a fuel for the fire of our faith to be fanned into flame. We ask these things in the strong name of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King you have chosen for us, Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let us sing and worship the King. Let's shout to the Lord, all the earth. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let 
great song and oldie but a goldie nothing compares to the promise that we have in Christ you know it'd be really easy for us to be distracted by our fears and for the church to be sidelined in this moment but I encourage us all to act out of faith to take bold steps to reach out to those who are in need of hope we have a message of hope and we got a reminder of that hope this morning a king who acts on our behalf who has secured the promise for us and so, church, let us be the church. Let us go out in this time and share the hope that we have with those who are in need. And as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen.